It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes. What do you think? I put in a little intro track there. Uh, tell me what you think in the comments or hit me up on Twitter. My name is Jeff Carr. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I am the host of the Locked On Reds podcast, the only daily podcast for your Cincinnati Reds. This is the Tuesday edition of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about another fringe player heading into spring training and then some news and notes in the second half of the show. But before we get to all that, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And also check us out on social media at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr, J-E-F-F-F-C-A-R-R. Those are both on Twitter. We're also on Instagram at Locked On Reds. And my Instagram handle is at Carr Jeff. So, you know, just flip the Twitter handle. But anyway, uh, let's get to the show today. Wanted to look at a fringe player. Started looking at the fringe players yesterday with Robert Stevenson. And today I want to change gears and look at a hitter. And this is a fellow that, and, you know, if you ask James Erpine, he'd tell you he was my guy, and I really enjoyed watching him play. I really was struck with him whenever he got the chance to play for a good amount of time, and that is Phil Irvin, Philip Irvin. If you follow him on social media, his handle is Mr. Underscore Magic Irvin. But I really enjoyed watching him play last year. He had some nice games. In fact, he had a really good tear there where he was hitting over 300 for a while. He ended up finishing the season off with a 250 batting average. I believe it was 254. Just looking at the numbers here. 252. Uh, 252 batting average. And he had a 324 on base percentage, so he still kind of had some good plate discipline. But according to the Saber metrics, he had a weighted one, a weighted runs created plus of less than 100, which means he was a little below average as a hitter. Now, accounting stat-wise, he had seven home runs in 218 bats. Put that into perspective, Jesse Winker had seven home runs last year, and Tucker Barnhart, in almost double the at-bats that Philip Irvin had, had 10 home runs. So Irvin showed some power. He had 31 RBIs and scored 27 runs. In the games that he played, he managed to get into 78 games, so he had a nice little sample size there. It was still small, but overall, he got to show his stuff. And the thing that I look at when I look at Philip Irvin, he's got a lot of talent, but I think really his ceiling, and if I'm being totally honest, he's a fourth outfielder on a pretty decent team. Now, right now, as the team is stacked up for the Reds, he's like the sixth outfielder, especially if Nick Senzel pans out in center field. I'm counting Senzel as the center fielder here for that sixth outfield spot. But even without Nick Senzel, he's only the fifth outfielder. And you really don't want to have that many outfielders on your team if you can help it. You know, you hope that your fifth outfielder is more of a utility guy and as far as I know, Phil Irvin has really only ever played in the outfield. I don't know that he has too much infield experience. So he's a little limited there. 
he's kind of blocked by the fact that they've got Matt Kemp, which he's going to be the super sub in the outfield when it comes to the corner spots. So Phil Irvin's really going to have to show in spring training that he has the ability to play good defense in center field because that's going to be the spot that is open whenever they play in places like Colorado and stadiums with cavernous center fields if they want to move away from Nixon Zell, which Nixon Zell is super athletic. So maybe he doesn't have that problem. Maybe they don't have to platoon a defensive guy into center field, but that's the way that Philip Irvin is really going to make this team. And the reason that I label him as a fringe player is I, I'm pretty sure, I was trying to look it up, couldn't really find it anywhere, but pretty sure he's got you know, an option or two left. So he could start the year in AAA and they wouldn't have to put him on waivers or anything like that because he's still pre-arbitration. He hasn't even started his arbitration years in his contract status. So he's early enough in his career that he may still be able to be sent down to AAA to get that everyday playing time that he needs to continue to develop. Because as I said, you know, he had some decent plate discipline in that his on-base percentage was 324, but he still was a little bit of a free swinger. He had a 24% strikeout rate compared to an 8% walk rate. And obviously those percentages don't sound great. He did manage to draw 20 walks. The only problem was he struck out 60 times. That really weighed on his batting average because, you know, that kind of rate, that's going to bring you down quite a bit. Now, he wasn't the consistent type, and this is kind of the reason why I figure his ceiling is a fourth outfielder kind of player, but he did have a really strong stretch. In fact, he owned in the month of August because on August 1st, his batting average hit 300 for the season, and it kind of hovered around there for pretty much the entire month. The lowest that it dipped in the month of August was right there at the end. It got down to 293. Well, there in the middle, it went to 287, and it came back up into the 290s for a little while, and then right at the end of the month, it went down to 283. And then the month of September was what really kind of knocked his batting average down, but for a little while there, he was batting above 310. And, we, you know, me in particular, I was having a heyday with this because you look at those statistics and you're saying, boy, this guy's got some real talent. But then he just didn't finish strong. I mean, the month of September, he saw his batting average take a hit because he had 14 hits in 73 at-bats, and he had 25 strikeouts compared to just five walks the entire month. So really, that plate discipline that we saw in the month of August kind of disappeared on him a little bit because I think he probably got into a little bit of a hole at the beginning of the month, and so he just started swinging away probably reverted back to what he used to do in situations where he hit a slump. And I feel like, you know, that's what we tend to do. When we tend to hit a rough spell in life, we revert back to something that we're used to. And maybe back in the day, you know, he was always told, just swing away, Phil. And it didn't really work too well for him in the month of September. But I still think he's got a lot of talent. But like I said, the way that he's a fringe player is he just doesn't crack that top three outfielder spot. I really even think that Nick Senzel, there was a report that said that Nick Senzel has center field. Center field is Nick Senzel's to lose. 
So I feel like he is the running favorite going into spring training, and whoever is going for center field with him is just going to have to impress by a lot. And I just think that Phil Irvin is going to be a bench player slash AAA guy that they call up in case of injury or something like that. You know, unless there's a trade or two that happens that the outfield gets depleted a little bit. But coming out of spring training, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in AAA. And that's my guy. That's Phil. You know, I'm being honest with you there. But that's the fringe player I wanted to talk about in Tuesday's episode here. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Locked On Reds. You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast on this Taco Tuesday. We talked in the first half about a fringe player, my guy, Phil Irvin. And here in the second half, just want to kind of look at some news and notes. And obviously, as the world turns, so do the JT Raumuto rumors. And today, there was another update. Actually, it was on Super Bowl Sunday. The article came out on MLB.com about 30 minutes before kickoff of the Super Bowl, talking that the Reds and the Marlins were deep into talks about getting JT Ramuto to Cincinnati. And it was saying that, you know, it's, it's pretty much the package that we've been talking about of the Reds sending to Florida, Red <clears throat> to Miami. I still think of them as the Florida Marlins. But anyway, it was Jonathan India as the, you know, the key prospect in the deal. And they're also, the report said that the Marlins were looking for someone to fill in as their everyday catcher. They were looking for someone with major league experience to take over for that. So the Reds would throw in Tucker Barnhart in that deal and send him to Miami. And then also there was lower level prospects that were being considered, though no names had shown up in the report. So they're still talking, you know, they've been talking for like a month. But the good news is it hasn't stopped. So hopefully here soon, the the report is that the Marlins want to trade him before they head into camp. So that's February 13th. That's less than two weeks. Hopefully we have something quicker than that. But, you know, maybe this drags out a little longer. The good news is the Reds are still involved. Now, I did see, speaking of involved, I saw a report stating that the Reds are no longer in the running to sign Dallas Keuchel. And this really doesn't surprise me. I mean, it would have been nice if the Reds could somehow have pulled off a trade for Real Muto and then also go and sign Dallas Keuchel because that right there puts you in a playoff contention. I don't care who you're talking to. But the reports were that Keuchel was wanting at least four years and at least $23, 24000000 million per year. That's just way up there. And, you know, I, I, I've told you before that money is sort of relative when it comes to baseball. But I think you kind of got to weigh opportunity cost and all that good stuff. And I won't get too far into that. But it just seems like the, the, the cost really outweighs the reward that you might get out of Dallas Keuchel. He's over 30 now. So you're you're looking at maybe one or two more of his, you know, prime years and then probably a couple of years where he's he's okay but he's probably not what you're paying for him. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about I saw an article in the Cincinnati Enquirer. It was talking about it was an interview with David Bell and the different changes that he wants to implement. And you know, 
the big thing with David Bell and this managing staff this year has been the emphasis on analytics. But not just the fact that they're going to go all in on analytics, they're also going to mix analytics in with traditional ways of evaluating and developing players. But they've got guys who are specific on the analytics side of things. And he's saying that's going to be a big part. But one of the things, and he he was super open with this, he flat out said when it comes to spring training, he's going to push back the start times each day by, you know, maybe a half an hour, maybe an hour. He wants to focus on the player's rest and how much sleep they're getting and all that stuff. And he said they've even got ways of monitoring that and, you know, showing them how to develop better sleep habits. I don't know, maybe he's just getting them all Fitbits or something. But I think that, you know, he's really got a handle on what he wants to do with the team and the fact that he's got a solid plan. They've got 11 managers going into the season. You know, a lot of guys that are just focused on the analytics side and how to disseminate information to the players. And, you know, I I really like this quote, though, that he had in the interview. David Bell said, a lot of really good things are happening. Some things that we can see, like the trades and, and all that, but also just the little things behind the scenes that we're working on every single day. Our coaching staff, we're talking every day. It's the off season. We know we have a lot to accomplish, and there's definitely a commitment to doing everything we can. And actually, that was done a, not you know a few days ago. That was done a few weeks ago. So they have been just rolling as if they're already in spring training and the season is upon us. So I like the urgency that I hear from the interview and the different ideas that they had. He said, the, you know, David Bell said, the information in the analytics is one very important piece. The last few years, I knew getting into an opportunity like this, or even last year in player development with San Francisco, that analytics has to be a piece of it. To have the resources to be able to bring in somebody like that or multiple people like they've done with Caleb Cotham and Donnie Eckert, who is the assistant hitting coach, Caleb Cotham, the assistant pitching coach, they're all focused on analytics and all that good stuff. But, you know, he said uh, to have the resources to be able to bring in somebody like that or multiple people, we'd be missing out if we didn't do it. And that's just a great mentality to have is that moving forward, you can only move forward. If you're not moving forward, you're losing, you're missing out. And David Bell has a handle on that. I think that is going to be, you know, we we don't talk about it enough that this coaching staff that has been put together is really setting the team up for success. And I think the front office has done a phenomenal job, both with the David Bell hire, with Derek Johnson bringing in Turner Ward, and you know, even down to the assistant coaches like Caleb Cotham and Donnie Eckert, as I mentioned, and the base coaches of Delino DeShields and J.R. House, and even from keeping Freddie Benavides and making him the bench coach, I think it's important to keep a little bit of a presence from the past coaching staff to keep players comfortable with who they're talking to. So they kind of got that guy to go to whenever they're like, man, all these new guys around. But yeah, I just, I'm really encouraged to see you every time they're talking to the coaching staff, whether it be Derek Johnson or whether it be David Bell, it just, it, it gets me excited. There's not like a time when I'm reading this, like, ah, rolling my eyes, blah, 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 whatever coach speak. I feel like, 
David Bell just gets me excited every time he talks. But that's really what I wanted to get to in the news and notes section here. I appreciate you listening to this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Reds podcast, the only daily podcast source for your Cincinnati Reds. My name is Jeff Carr. Again, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Check us out on social media and look us up at LockedOnReds.com. Tomorrow for the Wednesday episode, we'll talk more about some fringe players for spring training. And just like the last few episodes, fingers crossed, maybe we got a JT Romuto trade to talk about. You've listened to the Locked On Reds podcast. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.